there aren't many cases that plague people's minds for over 50 years. By that point, there seems to be some semblance of an answer, but in some instances, this just isn't the case. Tonight, we're diving into one of Australia's biggest unsolved mysteries, one that is well over 50 years old, filled with loose ends and unfortunately, no conclusion. 54 years since it took place, people are still asking, who abducted the Beaumont children? The Beaumont's family, by all accounts, were living a nice and peaceful life. Jim, a linen good salesman, and Nancy Beaumont, a stay-at-home mom, were able to provide for their three kids. Jane, the oldest, Arna, the middle, and Grant, the youngest. They lived together in a small suburb located in Adelaide, known as Somerton, a place home to another mystery, the Somerton Man. Speaking of, the Beaumont family lived only minutes from the beach where the Somerton Man was found. Somerton was known to be a quiet and welcoming place, perfect for kids like Jane, Arna, and Grant. It became a norm to allow your children to go off on their own and spend the day at the beach, even when they were quite young. In 1966, when all of this took place, Jane was nine, Arna seven, and Grant was just four. Jane was often put in charge of her younger siblings when they went out alone, and while that may seem strange or irresponsible, it was simply a sign of the times. This was over 50 years ago. Children were given much more independence, and much sooner than we see children with now. When the kids did want to go to the beach, they'd catch a bus to take a short ride there. They'd take the same bus back home when they were done. This became commonplace in the summer months, which were known to be especially brutal, with temperatures reaching as high as 40 degrees Celsius or 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It's said that the Beaumont children traveled back and forth to the beach for weeks on end, with no incident. The kids were having a great time, and Jane was being a great sitter for them. It was January 25th, though, that Jim, the children's father, decided to spend some time with them at the beach. He was set to head out of town the following day and would be gone for at least two days. Reports say the day their father left, the youngest of the children, Grant, told him not to worry. That they would be fine. The following day was Australia Day. It's a day not far off from the 4th of July here in the U.S. or Canada Day for our neighbors up north. Many come together to celebrate Australia and its history. Still, though, it was incredibly hot, so, of course, the children asked their mother if they could go down to the beach. Without so much as a second thought, she said yes, and the kids were on their way. It was around 10 a.m., according to an article about the case published in 1989. Just after 10 a.m. on January 26, 1966, the children boarded a bus on a corner of their street, Harding Street, in the Adelaide suburb of Somerton Park. Police established later that the three got off at the Glenelg Terminus and that a postman, who knew them, saw them, quote, holding hands and laughing in the main street that afternoon. The kids were told to be home by 2 p.m., something Jane had no issue with before, being the motherly type, but 2 p.m. came and went, and by 7 p.m., the children's parents contacted the police, fearing the worse. What made this worse is the eyewitness accounts of where the children were and what they were doing seemed to be all over the place. 
After the mailman spotting them getting on the bus, that is one of the last sightings that can be believed beyond a shadow of a doubt. The mailman, Tom Patterson, was able to say what they were wearing, and the bus driver themselves also testified to the time they boarded. From there, it's more or less up in the air. Tom also went on to say he believed he'd seen them sometime later in the afternoon walking down Jetty Road toward the beach, but he wasn't sure. The next time the children were believed to have been seen was around 11 that morning by an older woman who was sitting near Holdfast Sailing Club. She said she'd seen the children playing in a sprinkler near the Collie Reserve, which is a large patch of grass said to resemble a park. Numerous children were known to play here during their stay and when they weren't on the beach. It was around this time that many witnesses made notes of a younger man, standing about six foot one, with blonde hair and wearing a blue swimsuit. For some time, he was seen lying down on the beach, belly down, looking over to the children. Eventually, he was seen playing with the Beaumont children. Around 11.45, they were seen buying cake from a sweet shop with a pound bill. This was noted because their mother did not give them that much money. Someone else, someone at the beach, would have had to have given them the extra money. Additionally, along with a few sweets, the children also bought a meat pie, something their mother stated they would have never eaten, especially before lunch. Also, these are kids going into a pastry shop. It seems obvious that they would go for more of the sweets rather than something savory. Finally, the children were last seen by the postman again around 3 p.m. walking down Jetty Road. This sighting is debated, however, because it goes against previous statements from the postman. If you remember, he claimed to have seen them that morning as well, but he could have had the two sightings mixed up, or he could be misremembering. The last verified sighting of the children came when the young man in the blue swimsuit was helping the children get dressed into their regular clothing. Many claimed to have seen it and felt uncomfortable, but the children seemed to act as if they knew the man, like he was a relative of the family. This would contradict how the children's mother said Jane was. According to Nancy, Jane was an incredibly shy girl and didn't open up to people she didn't know. Now, whether it was the cake shop owner or the postman who saw them last, the Beaumont children have never been seen again. The events not only shocked Australia, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, it was the day innocence vanished. As you would imagine, when the Beaumont children didn't step off the noon bus or the two o'clock bus, Nancy was beginning to get rather worried. To be fair, parents were far more lenient with children about where they could go without supervision, but until this day, the kids had always followed the rule of being home before lunchtime. But when three o'clock rolled around, the children's lunch was cold, and their father, who had been away on business over two hours away, came home to find the children hadn't returned. Nancy and Jim began searching on foot for the kids. Nancy and Jim searched by themselves up until 5 p.m. when they decided to go to the police. The children's abduction sparked one of the most extensive search efforts in Australia's history. The search lasted 36 hours and consisted of the police, the Army, the Navy, and Air Force. 
That doesn't include the reported thousands of civilians and friends who came out in hopes of finding the children as well. One article from February 4, 1966, 10 days after the children went missing, police searched the bottom of the Glenelg Boat Haven yesterday without finding anything to help locate the three missing Beaumont children. Police also had to deal with thousands of tips pouring in at this time. Of course, that's a good thing. It showed that many people in this community cared about these children, but they would more often than not lead to nothing. Another February article makes mention of one in particular stating another promising lead. The sighting of a man and three children in a car in Rundle Street collapsed early last night. Someone had followed this car for some time thinking the Beaumont children were inside, but when police finally caught up with the driver, he explained he was driving with his girlfriend, sister, and younger brother, all of which were far older than the Beaumont children. One notable lead that continued to pop up even after the searches died out was one about the man with the crazy walk. We mentioned before that the children were seen with a man who helped them get dressed after some time at the beach. But the first report of this I can find is from the 13th of February, 1966, the same year the children went missing. The report came from a woman named Daphne Gregory, and she said the man had to have been about 35 with light brown hair, but the most notable thing about him was the way he walked. She explained it as walking with his arms bowed like an ape. She also noted that the man seemed well put together. His hair was brushed and parted nicely. I mention this because another woman reported a man being seen with the children that was described as a surfy. Hair was said to be unkept. He was in his late 30s, stood about 6'1", and was deeply suntanned. He was very slim and said to have been wearing a blue swimsuit, a detail that would become very important later in the investigation. As of now, this case remains unsolved, but there have been some very big leads as of late. It started in 1998 when the arrest of an 86-year-old man named Arthur Stanley Brown. Arthur was arrested in Townsville, Queensland, and charged on the murder of Judith and Susan McKay, who were only 7 and 5 years old in August 1970. The arrest came after a relative of Arthur saw the case being talked about on television. She contacted the show and explained Arthur had sexually assaulted her when she was rather young and believed he could have been connected. The police spoke with the other family members and found that Arthur had sexually assaulted eight of his stepchildren, all of whom were between the age of three and ten. Arthur had gone uncharged for this crime for over 20 years, so in this time it isn't hard to believe that he attacked the Beaumont children as well. The South Australian police have said numerous times that this is the man who took the Beaumont children, there just isn't enough to make the final call. First, an identikit made up from various witness accounts in the Beaumont children's abduction looks strikingly similar to Arthur. There is unfortunately no way to be certain Arthur was in the area at the time of the Beaumont's children abduction as his work records have been lost. But with it being confirmed he was involved in the McKay children's case in 1970, it falls right in between the Beaumont children's case 
1966, and a second unsolved abduction, Joanna Ratcliffe and Christy Gordon, which took place in 1973. All three of these cases took place in the city of Adelaide, but with the Joanna and Christy case, murder wasn't even suggested until six years after the children went missing. If this man is responsible for the Beaumont children's abduction, it is very likely, as the site crime traveler said, that he traveled around the same distance away from the scene to do away with the bodies. It's very possible the grave site was just looked over or more well hidden than the one in the McKay children case. As we can see, the circumstantial evidence is stacked very high against Arthur, but circumstantial evidence can't convict someone. I've not seen anywhere if Arthur is still alive, though I find it incredibly unlikely given that he would be well over 100 years old. Any suspect, as a matter of fact, would be well into their 70s or late 90s at the latest, so if a confession were to come, it would be on their deathbed or from a family member. As of now, there is still a $1 million reward for anyone with information that leads to an arrest in the case. I've seen cases in the past solved with a ruling of solved with the suspect deceased, so it is possible to find justice. Unfortunately, the Beaumont children's mother, Nancy, passed away last year in September at the age of 92. The children's father is still alive, but also in his 90s. If you believe you do have any information that can help police come to a conclusion in this case, don't hesitate to call. You can contact the South Australian Crime Stoppers at 1-800-333-000. You can also go to the South Australia Crime Stoppers website. It will be linked in the description and submit a report there. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone. I want to say thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to listen to the story of the Beaumont children. I'm not sure who suggested this case, but it has been on my radar for some time now, and I'm glad I finally get around to talking about it. It's a tragic, tragic case all around. Cases involving children always are, but I just feel like there, there's, a, there's a missing piece. Maybe someone, somebody out there knows that we can just get it in there, and maybe at least put a name to the person who did these things, to these poor, poor, innocent children. I still have hope. I know it's been over well over 50 years now, but I don't know. I just have to hold on to that, that little glimmer of hope, you know. Anyway, thank you again, everyone, for listening. If you want to support the channel, you can check out the Patreon or join and become a member both of those are down below the video. Dollar a month, you get videos a day or two in advance. You can also support the channel by checking out the Teespring store and grabbing a mug, a hoodie, a t-shirt, whatever. That'll be down below the video as well. Um, if you're new here and you haven't subscribed, make sure you do and click that little bell so you don't miss any new uploads. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Um, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And as always... Stay safe out there.